Hi, this is Heidi, and this is Parent Town, a podcast where we explore stories of parenting in hopes that they can connect us and maybe make the world a little easier to understand. Welcome to Parent Town. We just finished up a series on either giving or getting the sex talk. Out of that experience came questions from you who listen about how to have this talk with our kids about addiction. So, in this podcast, we will talk to Kathy, who is the manager of an opioid addiction outpatient treatment program. She's been in the field of addiction treatment for over 10 years and is here to share her wisdom and insight from her valuable experience. Here is her story. I am a licensed alcohol and drug counselor. Um, I have been working in the field of addiction for 10 years. I practiced with clients doing direct client care for about six years and for the last four plus years, I've been managing outpatient addiction treatment programs. Okay. I have to mention that the best part about this podcast is that I get to talk to professionals and, and parents, but that also means that a lot of the time our kids get to be in the background. So if you hear some giggling and some cooing, those are amazing children that are trying really hard to be quiet in the other room. <laughs> <laughs> So I wanted to open this up with, before meeting with you today, I'm going to ask some other parents, like if you had Kathy for 10 minutes with the background that she has, with what she does on a daily basis, what kind of questions would you have for her about prevention, about addiction? So the first question I have, and this is super open-ended, is how do we get this conversation started with our kids? And you and I had just chatted that we just got done with this sex talk series and what we've learned through professionals and kind of failing forward is that you don't have this one heavy talk. I'm assuming that talking about addiction and prevention is similar to that. Can you talk a little bit more about any kind of action tools or communication tools that you would advise for parents? Yeah, so... I think the thing that I first want to start with is uh, delineating the difference between addiction and experimentation. Mm-hmm. And one precedes the other. Obviously, addiction starts with mild experimentation. And how somebody starts using mood-altering substances and the relationship that they have with them is largely determined not only by uh, their biology, uh, but also what those substances attend to on an emotional level Mm -hmm. for that person. So it's not uncommon that you'll see preferences for certain mood-altering substances that serve a particular emotional need. Hmm. For example, someone who's feeling really self-conscious, who feels like, we can use the example from from adolescence and youth, maybe you don't feel like you can talk to people you're romantically interested in. You feel like you're kind of an outcast. That person is probably going to be more susceptible to using alcohol because it lowers your inhibitions. It makes you feel like you are 
funnier and sexier and a better dancer mm-hmm. and all of those things. Mm-hmm. And you feel like you're disinhibited from the things that provide you some level of anxiety and that you can be the person that you want to be. Mm-hmm. And on some level, there's some normalcy to that. Alcohol is a natural disinhibitor. But if your sense of insecurity is heightened, uh, it's going to fill a very important need in your life. Mm-hmm. It's not uncommon that people who develop a dependence on alcohol uh, make statements that uh, when they were a kid, they felt like everybody got the rule book on how to live and they were just absent from school that day. And then mm-hmm. they found alcohol and it was like uh, a key that unlocked something in them. Mm-hmm. And, and so the conversation around mood-altering substances is less about substances as it is about arming your kids with the ability to have conversation about how they feel. So uh, as, a, as a parent, being able to uh, identify the emotion that your child is experiencing uh, as, a, as a very small child, uh, to reflect that accurately in your facial expressions and your tone of voice uh, and essentially uh, affirm their experience of that emotion and then provide a sense of of comfort if needed if it's an emotion that uh, that requires that and in that way you are helping that child develop a vocabulary a repertoire of understanding of their world and over time hopefully through repetition and through your own ability to mirror for them a robust and rich emotional experience, they're going to be able to articulate what's going on with them. Because mm-hmm. the hope is, is that through development from adolescence into adulthood, that the child will eventually no longer need their parent for comfort. The only way that you can kind of move towards that in a healthy way is to be essentially scaffolded in the process. And you eventually learn the ways that give you comfort, what feels good to you, how you manage feeling sad, how you manage feeling angry, how you manage feeling frustrated, uh, how you manage feeling overly excited and wild. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you learn how to regulate your emotional experience. If you miss some of that though, if your emotional experience isn't validated as uh, as a child, uh, you don't your parents don't have a strong vocabulary around emotional states if they are really rigid in believing that uh, little boys are only supposed to have certain kinds of emotions and little girls are only supposed to have certain kinds of emotions. Mm-hmm. That could be like a whole separate podcast. <laughs> it, it, it definitely could. It definitely mm. could. But when that happens, the child grows up thinking inaccurately about their world. And when you find mood-altering substances... It can feel like your oasis in sort of the desert of your emotional world. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's such key. It's like it's not necessarily maybe talking about the drug, but it's talking about how do they get the tools? How do they get the self-confidence or like the communication with the adults in their life so that when it is presented, how does that relationship with either drugs or alcohol unfold? Yeah. Well, and I guess to my next question is with your work and how long you've been doing it, what kind of threads yeah. do you see so that if you could say, if I could tell parents one thing about the common thread of what you're seeing, and I wish that I could go back in time and say this. So my current position manages an opioid addiction treatment program, and most of the 
clients we work with are between the ages of 18 and 25. So uh, they're still very much so in their early adulthood and are very close to their experiences of adolescence. And the common threads and themes that we see with these particular clients is an internal sense of high expectations, the need to be inauthentic in order to meet those expectations, and the sort of resulting sense of failure that Mm. comes with that. And so those expectations are placed on them, usually from family. There's some social expectations. There's certainly uh, peer group expectations. But who they are as individuals don't necessarily match uh, what those expectations are. And they don't have the support or freedom to, to live, uh, live a life that is meaningful to them. And the kind of substances that they use are a great escape, opioids in particular, provide a sense of euphoria, but they also are very numbing at the same time. Mm. Significant, unpleasant emotions you stop feeling. Mm-hmm. And that's oftentimes what they will describe as their most recognizable emotional state mm-hmm. is without the substances is something very unpleasant. Mm. So one person in particular, and I know like what we had talked about before, it's really hard to deal with biology. Yeah. That's just sort of genetically disposed. A friend of mine yesterday said, you know, I come from this long line of alcoholics and Mm -hmm. it's on both sides. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't feel like I want to sit down and have this like one heavy conversation with my kids. But is there another way of talking to your kids about like being part of that conversation? Like, you know what, you guys, you're just kind of predisposed. Mm -hmm. Um, Be aware. Yeah, I think the conversation is similar as the one you would have if there was a history of diabetes in your family, if there were a history of heart disease, and just being more mindful about the lifestyle you live, the food that you eat, the exercise that you get on a regular basis. And I think with addiction, it's similar. I mean, it's biology isn't, isn't all of it, obviously. It plays a part. The other components that I've spoken of from that sort of emotional world, authenticity world are important components as well. But I, I know many people who have a family history of addiction and have <laughs> just really excited <laughs> have a family history of addiction and have talked to their kids about it or had their parents talk to them about the family history and that has been helpful for them to either arrest their own problems with with substances earlier than they may have if they if they didn't have it on their radar mm-hmm. and that can be helpful. So at least like what you just like have it on your radar, kind of a constant discussion, and that it's uh, being honest with your kids. And mm-hmm. and that's another question from a friend of mine is how honest are you with your kids about your own experimenting and your own, maybe your own background? It's just like with the sex act, do we give them kind of what they need to know at that time? Mm-hmm. Are we completely just hands out honest with them? I mean, I guess that's probably a hard question to to answer just because it can be very individual yeah it it is very individual and I think there's a there's an appropriate way to share your own experience and a time to share your own experience that is going to make a point that you're trying to get across and then I think some parents fall into the trap of trying to gain some level of credibility or you know I understand where you're coming from I smoked pot too 
that kind of, let me just show you how I relate to you kind yeah. of uh, perspective. And that usually doesn't achieve the goal that sure. the parent's looking for. More than anything, I think it's usually translated as, uh, you know, well, you did this, so it's okay. And they just sort of stop listening. They're not listening for the broader point that you're trying to make. And then I hear it as sort of a backfire um, in my in my work as mm-hmm. a counselor with kids sort of throwing that information back in parents' faces of, you know, well, you you, you used pot and, you know, mm-hmm. your parents didn't make you go to treatment, et cetera, oh, sure. et cetera, et cetera. And so I think the conversation is more about the why and what you got out of it. Okay. And I think you can relay the positive and the negative. So to say to your kid who's of an appropriate age where they're maybe experimenting themselves, to share with them, these are the things that I know. You always want to be careful with this, that, and the other. You want to be careful. Don't ever drive drunk with somebody. Mm-hmm. No matter what somebody says, you never know what is in something that somebody gives you, right. etc. And so trying to communicate to them a little bit of words of wisdom that you've experienced, but then also... You can, I think, use it as an opportunity to to teach them the difference between using a substance to change the way that you feel Mm -hmm. and to feel whole and using a substance more casually. Everybody experiences an altering state (laughs) from from substances that's natural. Part of what happens moving from casual use to addiction is that over time, the person is unable to attend to their emotional world in another way other than the use of a mood-altering substance. I think that sentence right there is like, when does that shift? For most people, it's slow. It happens over time. Some people, that key unlocks the lock, and it's like, oh my gosh, this is what I've been missing my whole life, and it's they hit the ground running really quickly. Mm. I think most people have a more gradual experience, and they don't even realize that they're in dangerous waters until things have really escalated. Do you feel like... From a counselor point of view and from a parent's point of view, is there something else you would like to add that I haven't brought up? If there's one thing that I just want to mention before we end is mm-hmm. to be mindful of prescription drugs. That's mm. like the big difference between when you and I grew up as kids and now. Such is a that, good point. Yeah, there's sort of this popularity of pharmaceuticals, some poor regulation, in my opinion, about them, over-prescribing of them. And it's easy for a kid who doesn't quite understand the difference between the antibiotics that their doctor prescribed and the benzo that was prescribed to someone who suffers from panic attacks. Mm-hmm. They're all doctor approved, so they should all be safe. Mm. And they're really not. And so parents keep them in their medicine cabinet and they don't, they don't realize that this is something that a kid would have easy access to. Mm-hmm. They would feel safer experimenting with, uh, but are quite potent and dangerous, potentially dangerous. Mm-hmm. The little chatting that my parents did to me about you know, alcohol and drug use was mostly about, well, look how it's not working out for our family, first mm-hmm. of all. Mm-hmm. Like, be, be aware. Mm-hmm. But it was mostly, I don't think we ever talked about prescription yeah. stuff. And yeah. you're right, that, that needs to be part of the conversation. We have some idea about like drugs, you know, you buy them in a shady alley mm-hmm. with some guy... But absolutely, it can be in everybody's medicine cabinet, mm-hmm. and there's a stigma that somehow that isn't 
the problem. That's like not, not addiction. That's mm-hmm. not like people that do drugs. Right. That, you know, that's not what they get into. And it just seems like that's such a trend and it's on the rise. Yeah. There's always been, I think, a almost like a hierarchy of drug use of, you know, as long as I don't cross this line, then I'm fine. When I was a teenager, I grew up during the time of crack cocaine being mm-hmm. the, that's the line you don't cross, that and, and heroin. And as long as you didn't do those two substances, you weren't a drug addict. Yeah. And... That's uh, totally what it was. Like, somehow those were, yeah. like, the bullet points, like, don't cross that line. Yeah. But it was, like, alcohol and pot and even, like, some mood-altering drugs that, like, hippies would do. Yeah, Somehow right. that was fine. That was fine. <laughs> right. And you could do as much powdered cocaine as you want... Just as long as you're not freebasing it, right. you're good to go. You're good to go. Right. And and so now I think the pharmaceuticals sort of fall within that, that realm of like, well, you just, you can't be a drug addict and get things from your doctor. Mm-hmm. Like those two things are mutually exclusive. We've talked before about how the world of medicine is not really keeping up with the problem they've created. You yeah. Know? There's a lot of money in it. Yeah. That's another podcast. Yes. We'll do. Get some pharmaceutical reps in here. Uh, we'll have a good, a good... A good throwdown. Yeah, get um, yourself some legal representation. <laughs> well, I appreciate this. I feel like, again, like this is a conversation that we should all be, you know, as, as parents do, you know, it's like, yes, this is where we all kind of feel forward a little and it's uncomfortable, but it's, it's, it's vital. And, you know, and I appreciate when you talk about it, it's not so much the drugs, it's about thinking about how people lead the pathway to the drug. Mm-hmm. It's about the relationship with it and what it provides for you. In our treatment program, part of what we try to focus on is helping people understand what the substance provides for them. Got it. How, how is it helping you? Because when we understand how it helps somebody, we can understand where they need help. And that's the area that they did not have other resources mm-hmm. to address at some point in their life. Mm-hmm. And from an addiction prevention standpoint... The more somebody understands their needs and can attend to them, the less likely they are to become overly dependent on something that's unhealthy for them to do that for them. Thank you. This has been really awesome. Thanks, Kathy. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. Please check out our website at www.parent-town.com. Like us and share the podcast on our Facebook site. We really, really appreciate that. You can listen to us where you listen to all your podcasts under Parent Town Podcast. If you have an idea for a show, we would love to hear from you, so don't be shy. As always, thank you to my co-producer, Greg, who is also sound expert extraordinaire, and to Park States for letting us use their amazing music. Again, thank you for listening. I'm Heidi, and this is Parent Town.